Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. The Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 178 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. Did the feds act inappropriately and perhaps even illegally in a high-profile criminal investigation and trial a couple of years ago? Coming up, we'll speak with an attorney who says they definitely did. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. All right, Keith Allen Ranieri is, according to Wikipedia, an American cult leader and convicted sex trafficker. Well, the convicted part is according to all mainstream media out there. He's the founder of a group, uh, NXIVM, which they uh, pronounce Nexium, which is described as a multi-level marketing company and sex cult based near Albany, New York. Between 1998 and 2018, Nexium according to Wikipedia, developed a following primarily through its personal development seminars, recruiting several celebrities and socialites. The organization faced multiple accusations of systemic sexual abuse of female members by Ranieri and members of his inner circle, leading to the arrests of Ranieri and other Nexium members in early 2018. On June 19, 2019, Ranieri was convicted of federal crimes He was found guilty of sexual exploitation of a child and possession of child pornography with regard to minor victim Camilla, sex trafficking of Nicole, attempted sex trafficking of Jay, identity theft against Edgar Bronfman, uh, James Loperfito, Ashana Chinoa, Mariana, and Pam Kafritz. Trafficking for labor and services of Daniela, forced labor of Nicole, conspiracy to alter records for use in an official proceeding, sex trafficking conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, racketeering conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. While awaiting sentencing, Ranieri's attorney at the time, Mark Agnafilo, filed two motions for a new trial in a March 2020 motion claiming witnesses perjured themselves then in an October 2020 motion claiming that prosecutors had intimidated witnesses, uh, Judge Garofis denied both motions. On October 27, 2020, Ranieri was sentenced to 120 years in prison. Ranieri gave notice of appeal of both his conviction and sentence to the Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. In November 2020, oral arguments were heard on May 3, 2022. This brings us to our guest today, Attorney Joseph Tully. Now, Attorney Tully 
is a renowned criminal defense attorney in the state of California. His website says he is a fearless and meticulous advocate for individual rights and liberty, a leading criminal attorney and author in California who helps people defend their liberty and reputation in a broken criminal justice system. Joseph Tully's remarkable record of earning not guilty verdicts is based on an unwavering willingness to fight back against law enforcement's presumption of guilt and prosecutors' deal-making machinery that bullies a guilty plea without proving a case. Attorney Tully's meticulous preparation consistently uncovers reasonable doubt, not guilty in the eyes of the law, by identifying every imperfection in the prosecutor's case, discrediting unreliable witnesses, excluding tainted evidence, spotlighting police misconduct, and identifying legitimate alternative fact narratives. Superficial cases fail and justice is restored under Joseph Tully's scrutiny and diligence. has a statewide trial schedule in California and provides expert commentary for the media and his book, California State of Collusion, which came out uh, four years ago. Attorney Tully, uh, apologize for the long introduction there. I, I didn't mean to filibuster, but uh, welcome to the Doc Washburn Show. What, what did the feds get wrong in the case of uh, Keith Ranieri? So in terms of the the most heinous charges, which were RICO acts re- relating to child exploitation and child pornography, yeah. um, there were 22 photos of a uh, of one of his partners who, who he had an adult uh, consensual relationship with. These photos aren't child pornography by looking at them. What made these photos... Um, illegal is the fact that the government had a narrative that they were taken in 2005. Ergo, the subject of the photos, Camilla, would have been 15 at the time. So, but for that date, these photos um, would would be legal. And in, in during the trial, a lot of key evidence supporting the government's narrative as, as to these uh, charges. Again, it, it's the worst uh, thing that you could be you know, charged with, um, were, were late discovered and, and some of the key evidence was never turned over to the defense. And with that, um, after the trial was over, uh, three top forensic experts were hired and they have looked and they found lots of anomalies regarding the hard drive and another and a camera that was tied to the hard drive. Um, that proved that the that the child pornography photos, um, everything about it has been manufactured and planted. Okay, let me, for my listeners, uh, RICO, the RICO Act, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, is a U.S. federal law uh, that provides for extended criminal penalties and a civil cause of action for acts performed as part of an ongoing criminal organization. Also... Uh, you know, I'm not a, a lawyer, but I talk to a lot of lawyers, listen to a lot of lawyers. Uh, in our American judicial system, the prosecution, my understanding, has to turn over evidence that they're going to use at trial to the defense. They can't just spring it on them uh, during a trial. I, ideally, yes. Um, however, in, in trial, I mean, it, within the court system in general, 
The judges today are very compliant, meaning they want to please the prosecution. Um, there are very good judges out there. There are very good pr- uh, prosecutors out there. There are very good, um, amazing people in law enforcement. However, right now, uh, in, in our culture in America, um, the criminal justice system is very corrupt, and, and the good people are in the minority, and the culture is controlled by the really bad people. So, I mean, on one hand, we have the Fourth Amendment, which guards against unreasonable se- searches and seizures, but if you were to go into any courtroom in America um, you would have to sit for a long, long, long time before you saw a defense attorney win a motion um, saying that a search was bad. So, um, you know, we have the law in the books, but what happens in court every day is a lot different than that. Okay, and and um, in in your allegation that that the feds uh, may have tampered with evidence. Uh, I, I think you mentioned that you're, you're looking at the um, the guilty verdicts, uh, the, the charges which uh, got the most time uh, for your client, Mr. Ranieri. Um, if I understand correctly, you're you're not um, not looking to appeal all of the guilty verdicts. Well, I mean, the the whole case was definitely tainted by this tampering. And in terms of an allegation, it's not just an allegation. Some of the some of the tampering we could prove to a scientific certainty. Um, The the experts that were hired on this case were three top experts, including uh, two of them have law enforcement experience. So no one went into this with with the uh, mindset of let's, you know, make the FBI look bad. In fact, the opposite was true. Nobody really believed um, that this was occurring to the level that, that it was brought to my attention at, you know, the FBI uh, planted and, and tampered with evidence. Um, however, that that's what the evidence shows is that, um, you know, to a scientific certainty, uh, you know, we could prove some of the tampering happened and then all of the anomalies, all that, that we have on the digital evidence, they all support the government's theory. So if these photos were really taken when the subject was 15, there would be no reason um, to have these, uh, to have the tampering, you know, that the evidence could have just been presented. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a very strong case for tampering, if not 100% proven. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it, it wouldn't be the first time that the FBI has uh, done some shady stuff. Um so, so in in researching to get ready for this interview, you know, I uh, came across some appeals that were filed and that were denied. Um, are you going to have to uh, present your case to the uh, the same judge who has denied other appeals, or is there a different way of going about this? Well, so right now, um, there, as you noted, there was an appeal and. Uh, I, I argue that appeal on May 3rd, um, and so we're waiting to hear from the appellate court. So imagine, um, think of, you know, the, the, the trial court as mom and dad, but the appellate court like grandmother and grandfather. Yeah, right sure. now, the, uh, the case is with grandma and grandpa. It's up in the appellate court. But I have filed this a motion for a new trial based on the tampering 
with the mom and dad court, with the district court where the trial was. Um, And so because the case is with the appellate court, then um, the, the case with the trial court is inactive right now. So I'm filing these motions, but we're waiting to hear from the appellate court first, and then the uh, then the motions on the tampering will be heard, um, hopefully at the district court level. Because of unfairness that I saw uh, in the trial, and I don't think there's any lawyer in America that would read those transcripts, whether you like Keith or Neri or not, um, that's not the issue here. That's right. not why I'm here. Right. Um, even the devil himself needs a fair trial. So... Um, we, we, I filed a motion uh, to recuse the judge based on very concrete, provable um, instances of judicial bias. And so while we're waiting um, at the appellate court for them to give their decision, um, when I, I, you know, I don't have a lot of faith in appellate courts. Um, appellate courts constantly just bend over backwards, reread the law, invent law. They do whatever it takes to vote against uh, the criminal defendant. So we have a, a history of 40 years of the appellate courts eviscerating the Constitution and eviscerating our our rights, our natural rights, our, our, our legal rights, um, in order to you know uphold convictions and to be compliant with the government, to be compliant with uh, the prosecution. So... We we will have um, we will have the case heard. I don't know. It, it's an open question whether or not the judge who heard the trial will hear these motions. Yeah, and you know, one of the things, one of the challenges, I think, that a criminal defense attorney has, um, as you oftentimes uh, may find yourself defending someone who uh, people on a jury might not like the guy and you got to really focus on the fact that whether you like him or not the states or in this case i guess the feds have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt and if you can show tampering with evidence and get that across then that that can open up everything uh, obviously it's not your contention that uh, that your attorney was a choir boy or, yes, I, again, whether or not people like Keith Mary or hate him, that's not the issue. Yeah. Um, everybody deserves a fair trial. And in this case, I, I could prove, if I'm allowed to get into court, I could prove that the FBI tampered with, with the evidence uh, relating to this uh, alleged child pornography. Um, and, again, if it was truly, uh, you know, taken when she was underage, there'd be no need um, to tamper with the evidence. Yet all the tampering supports the government's narrative that the that the uh, subject was 15 at the time, um, where, you know, a lot of people say that this particular individual, um, I mean, she looked the same at, you know, 15 as at 25, as at, you know, 19. I mean, she's just one of these individuals that just looking at a photo, you can't necessarily tell what age she is. So you you mentioned a few minutes ago that you think you can definitely prove uh, a case of judicial bias on the part of the judge who heard the case uh, in an effort to get him uh, uh, taken off the case, recused. Uh, what What kind of judicial bias are we talking about here? So there, there were two instances that, that I cite in my recusal motion, and one is that he cut off 
the government's main cooperating witness. Again, there were several people charged, Mr. Ranieri and, and several females, um, members of, of the Nexium community. Yeah. Um, they were all unified and standing together and wanting to go to trial and prove that they were innocent. And um, I think anybody, again, any reasonable person looking at the, at the charges would say at a minimum that they are overblown, you know, that they're applying these legal situations to something that just wasn't, that doesn't rise to the level of criminal culpability. Um, but they, and then they all one by one after that evidence, uh, the allegations of child pornography came out, they all started taking deals. Well, the government's main cooperating witness, um, the defense attorney was cross-examining her. And everybody knows in the Sixth Amendment, you have the right to confront and cross-examine uh, witnesses that appear against you. Yeah. Um, you you were talking about the RICO charges earlier. And really, that's a mindset. that, that Those charges were created to go against uh, the mob and mafia, not multi-level marketing people. And, and the government was really, I think, expanding the, the realm of RICO here. However, the defense is pretty simple. If people's intentions within Nexium were to do good and to not commit crimes, um, it, even if crimes were later committed, that would be an absolute defense to the RICO charges. Because um, a lot of these charges also had problems with statute of limitations and jurisdiction, um, these, these charges were shopped around to different prosecutors. Uh, all state prosecutors turned them down. They didn't see criminal activity. And the other uh, jurisdictions that would have more properly had federal jurisdiction also turned it down because um, consenting adults. So it was only this jurisdiction that had um, the Eastern District that they only had jurisdiction over these uh, allegations because of the RICO charges. So the defense attorney was trying to get in from the government's main cooperating witness, what was your mindset while you were in DOS? What, were the, what was the mindset of others while they were in DOS? And he was cut off um, when he got into that area. And he was not only cut off, but he was prevented from asking that witness any more questions on it. So that, that was a major um, denial of the Sixth Amendment. And then there was other um, very bizarre behavior in the, that occurred during the restitution hearing um, that was written uh, about in newspapers and in magazines. It was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, now, uh, DOS... Um they they say in his mainstream media reporting is an acronym for dominus obsequious sororium a quasi latin phrase that loosely translates to master over the slave women there's a lot of mainstream media reporting um that uh, Keith Ranieri saw himself as a master saw women as as slaves uh and had um uh you know power over them by uh, I guess, in a sense, uh, blackmailing. If you leave, we're going to put all this, you know, very sensitive private information out about you. Now, that's all over the mainstream media, but was he found guilty of this kind of stuff? Well, I, I, he was found guilty of everything that he was charged with. Yeah. But I know that people did leave DOS 
Uh, it was a sorority uh, for women, a women's only sorority, except for uh, Keith Ranieri was was involved at, at, at the top level. Yeah. Um, people did leave, and none of that material was ever um, released, to my knowledge. So, uh, if that was a concern, it never happened. It didn't happen before uh, court ever, um, and it didn't happen afterwards. So, um, that that whole narrative. It, it never came to fruition, you know, again, it, it was, I, it is, to my understanding, and again, I'm not here to say whether Keith Ranieri is a good guy or a bad guy. I was brought in to investigate the tampering. Sure, yeah. I didn't believe it at first. I investigated the tampering with three top forensic experts, and we all, you know, the, the evidence is plain as day. So, um, it, it, back to your question about, about the DOS and, and you know, the sorority, um, Again, this was the government applying um, RICO to to a situation that really isn't RICO. But the same token, let's say if the the CEO of a of a department store is an alcoholic, yeah. and you know spends their paycheck on alcohol and drives drunk, you know, a few times a year, then everybody who works at Target and Target itself. Or, you know, let, let's just use Target as an example. Again, I don't know the CEO of Target. This is complete hypothetical made up. Um, but, you know, if the CEO of Target used his money to or her money to buy alcohol and drove drunk um, frequently, then the same theory that the government used in Mr. Ranieri's case would make uh, the entirety of Target a RICO enterprise and, and, and a cashier in Illinois and a cashier in California part of a RICO enterprise. And it's just, um, it's a, it's a really, it's a bad law to begin with, but we tolerate it because it went after the mafia. Yeah. But um, now it's being expanded, and and we saw the same blueprint used against R. Kelly, which again, he might be a good guy, he might be a bad guy, um, he might be guilty of some things, but certainly um, saying that his touring group was a RICO enterprise because they promoted concerts and they also helped, uh, you know, R. Kelly through the concerts and through the exposure, get access to groupies, um, I think is, uh, is an expansion of RICO that, that's improper. Again, if somebody rapes somebody, charge them for that, arrest them for that, convict them for that, sentence them for that. But don't create this RICO enterprise um, and expand the law where, uh, where it isn't, where, where it shouldn't be expanded to. Okay, well, let me ask you about that. Again, RICO, Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, uh, which was uh, uh, passed in 1970 uh, and um, was uh, began to be used about 50 years ago widely. 33 states adopted state RICO laws to do the same thing. Um, and, and clearly it was intended to go after the mafia, La Cosa Nostra, at first, but has been used in other kinds of cases. Uh, has the law itself been tested? Has there been a case that's, gone to the U.S. Supreme Court, has the U.S. Supreme Court said, well, regardless of, of, of how it was intended, uh, it's, it's, it's not unconstitutional? Or would this be a first impression if you or other criminal defense attorneys uh, sought to um, challenge the constitutionality of the RICO Act? Um, I, I think there, there has been challenges to RICO, 
But in terms of the expansion against Mr. Ranieri and, and, and R. Kelly, um, again, taking no position on, on whether or not they did good things or bad things yeah. or mostly good things, you know, um, I, I don't, I don't even think that that, uh, that wasn't an issue that I argued at the appeal just simply because judges are compliant. No one cares. You know, our, our, our legislators aren't going to repeal criminal laws. They're just not going to do that. Um, they're not going to limit criminal laws. Yeah. Um, they run on a platform of getting tough on crime and we all eat that up. And, and anybody who says, you know, or anybody, any politician running who said, well, I'm not going to be tough on crime. I want to cut the wheat from the chaff. I want to, you know, address serious crimes. But, you know, fiscally, we can't afford our, our out-of-control criminal justice system where the net is becoming ever and ever uh, more expanding. So um, judges don't care, and, and prosecutors are able to do whatever they want in court, basically. I mean, if you wanted to sum it up in a sort of uh, – abysmal way um that that's not being too um too jaded by saying that 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 would be a good premise to go on actually wow so um when do you expect um uh any kind of ruling on your appeals here because you know if if you can show in court that the feds did in indeed tamper with evidence uh that could open up a lot for your client it it could. Um, however, I'll be fought every step of the way by the government. Sure. And I will be fighting against a judge who will look for any technicality to to get rid of these allegations or to not address them. Yeah. Um, so you know, right right now we're waiting on on the appeal, and you know, in the appeal, just to give give your audience a, a, a taste of, of of another issue in the appeal. Um, the, the sex trafficking language that Mr. Ranieri was convicted on was basically if anybody does anything because of sex that affects somebody else in any way, then that means the sexual act was a commercial sex act. Right. So I, I argued in there that let's say um, somebody owns a small business. They have 10 employees and, um, you know, he and his wife or she and her husband have their, their anniversary and there's some lovemaking. And the next day the, the boss goes to work and is in a good mood and buys lunch for, for uh, his or her employees, the, 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 you know, the day after, right? That means under the law that the judge gave it um, in, in the Keith Ranieri trial, that means that the, their sexual act the night before was a commercial sex act because the employees benefited from it. And Good even grief. further, if the boss is, is, is walking down the hallway and, and sees a secretary or sees somebody and gives them a good smile, a nice smile, because they're in a happy mood from the night before, and that, and that employee feels good, you know, feels like, ooh, feels more confident, feels like, wow, that was a nice reassuring smile for my boss. Yeah. I feel good. That means that the sexual act from the night before between the boss and, and their spouse uh, was a commercial sex act. So that's what Keith Ranieri was convicted on. You can look on Wikipedia. You can look on, on, on all the media, and they'll talk about he was convicting of, of sex trafficking. Yeah. But that was the instruction. I, do you blame the jury for convicting on that grounds? And then when I argued it in trial, um, or, I'm sorry, when I argued it during the appeal, the appellate court just said, oh, you're just arguing semantics. 
No, I'm not arguing semantics. I'm saying there needs to be a quid pro quo. If you do the sexual act, then, you know, you'll benefit or another person will benefit in some way. Or another person, if you don't do it, another person um, will be harmed in some way. There has to be a quid pro quo. There can't just be because of. So, you know, the quid pro quo versus because the boss, and I'll just go with his wife, you know, had sex one night and then he gave bought lunch for his employees or because he gave a smile, um, you know, that doesn't make the commercial, that doesn't make their sexual act a commercial sex act. Um, but if it was a quid pro quo, you know, then that would, there, then there's a, a legitimate nexus between that. So, I mean, the, the, the whole case is emblematic of our justice system, again, where the government's allowed to do kind of whatever they want, expand their laws in whatever way they want in order to get the man that they want. And, you know, slowly but surely, um, we are in the position where, and it wasn't Joseph Stalin, it was his head of the secret police who said, you know, bring me the man, I'll find the crime. Ladies was, and gentlemen, if they want Berea, to get you today, they'll get you. And a prosecutor will be more than happy to, you know, um, convict you for no reason other than they wanted to. And, and it will happen in front of a judge, uh, and, and the law enforcement will go along with it. And, you know, as, as jurors, people are taught to go along with, with the government, right? Yeah, um... Bring me the man, and uh, I'll, I'll show you the crime. I think it was uh, Lavrentia Berea, the uh, the head of the uh, the secret police under Stalin. Uh, now, you know, I, I I will say the 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 hypothetical of the man and his wife and the happy anniversary, and then buying lunch for the uh, employees the next day does seem kind of uh, you know like, like kind of a stretch. But uh, you know, if if indeed that contention that you have, uh, uh, you know wins the day in, in court. We, we definitely want to, want to hear an update on that. Um, I, I won't win. The, the, the judges didn't care about that argument, but I mean, I could read you, um, the, uh, the language that the judge gave to them and I'm, I'm, I'm accurate. You know, I'm, I'm not here to, uh, you know, a defense attorney. I, I think we have to really watch it. Our, our, um, credibility is our currency. You know, whereas the government, they could say one thing one day and come back and it's wrong. And, you know, it, it, they're rarely reprimanded, if ever, in court. Um, however, you know, defense attorneys, we if we lose credibility one time, um, you know, and I do make mistakes, but it's very costly for a defense attorney to be perceived as not being credible. Oh, no question. No question. Absolutely. So at this point, you're, you're waiting to hear back... Um, on on the appeal and uh, uh, no telling how long that's going to take, right? Correct. Yeah, we're just waiting. Um, and you know, uh, again, just look at just look at it, it, it. Read read appellate court opinions. Go to go to any criminal courtroom in the in the country. Any single one. And as much as we see on TV that oh, the bad guy gets away with the technicality, it does not happen in real life. Um, you know, de- defense motions are very, very hard to win. Um, it's just, it's basically like getting struck by lightning. Um, if you, if you win a defense motion in, in general, again, there are some judges who are very good with the law. They are in the minority, it, it, greatly in the minority. Yeah. Yeah. Understandably, understandably. Um, and there are a number of, uh, abuses that the, um, 
the federal government engages in on a regular basis. I mean, look no further than, you know, uh, the political persecution of, uh, of people who were at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, didn't even go in the building, committed no violence, no vandalism or anything, uh, but are being uh, viciously prosecuted. Um, so, you know. Um, Correct, and, 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 and held uh, in, in deplorable conditions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, deplorable conditions, no question about it. Well, Joseph Tully, attorney at law, people want to find out uh, uh, more about uh, about this case or more about your practice, I guess the best thing to do would be to go to josephtully.com, right? Um, josephtully.com is the is the website for my book and for maybe media uh, bookings. Um, my my law firm website is tully-weiss.com, so it's T U L L Y and then hyphen weiss w e i s s.com and um, I have you know, Facebook, I'm on Twitter, we have an Instagram. So um, I work with the managers. Uh, I have somebody who manages my social media and my website and posting. And we're, we're pretty active. I mean, we, we're very active in charity. We're very active in um, all causes of, of justice and injustice and trying to right wrongs um, via, you know, legally and lawfully, peacefully, nonviolently uh, within the legal system. Very good. All right, Mr. Tully, uh, appreciate you coming on the program today. And uh, it is our hope that uh, regardless of you know whether people like your client or not, the justice will prevail. We could only hope, but I will tell you that I am going to fight like crazy because what we do to the least of us among us, we do to everyone. And we need to have a fair system. And um and, and, and it needs to happen. So I will, I will do everything that I can. Again, the government is going to fight me, and it's going to be an uphill battle against judges as well. Very good. Tully-Weiss.com. Uh, appreciate you coming on the program. And as we say here in the South, y'all come see us. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. There you have it. There you have it. Um, fascinating case. And again, you know, he's getting paid by this Keith Ranieri guy, um, and he has certainly some allegations about what the feds did, what the judge did, and uh, and we'll see, we'll see how things turn out. We'll see how things turn out. Um, now we have a number of different uh, issues in the news today that we want to deal with. Uh, first of all, though, we are very thankful. Very thankful for our advertisers, our friends and advertisers, for allowing us to be able to do what we do on a regular basis here on the Doc Washburn Show. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including... Your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, 
you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. We talk a lot about pushing back against the overreach of the federal government. What better example would there be than Obamacare? Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then that big, beautiful red button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on the red button, you book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he also makes sure that your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, horrible things which would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Click the big red button, schedule a call now, book a free consultation with Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. 
Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And thank you again so much to our advertisers, our friends and advertisers, for making us possible, making it possible for us to do what we do here. You know, I came across a fascinating article that I wish I had read. No, I did read it. <laughs> I wish I had written it. Darren J. Beatty over at Revolver.News. This just dropped this morning. The GOP's transgender strategy is dangerously off track. And here's what he says. A politically damaged, barely viable Joe Biden, I'll never call him president, has surveyed the political landscape and incredibly chosen transsexualism as his field of battle. With inflation soaring, the economy collapsing, shortages ravaging America, a human invasion tsunami pouring over the border, and repeated international humiliations, Biden and his administration flunkies are declaring an all-out war effort to promote transgenderism in every corner of America. Biden signed a sweeping new executive order Wednesday of last week that aims to protect LGBT youth from a raft of conservative state laws and address barriers they face to health care and housing. The order aims to use the muscle of the federal government to push back on laws in states like Texas and Florida that have restricted access to health care for transgender youth and bar discussion in elementary schools about gender and sexual orientation. Obviously, mutilating a child is not health care. But anyway, he says the message of Biden's new order is unambiguous, absolutely zero restrictions on bombarding children with morally degenerate sexual and gender propaganda and then permanently mutilating their genitals will be tolerated in Joe Biden's America. Biden is certainly raising the stakes on transgenderism. The million-dollar question is, will the GOP fold? Let the Biden administration win and let every school in America become a transgenderism factory forever. Despite what D.C. consultants might tell you, Republicans should accept Biden's challenge. Until recently, the GOP's response to the transgender epidemic has been fearful, tepid, and timid. Republicans fear cancellation, they fear backlash from the extreme left, and they fear a replay of the fight over gay marriage from a decade ago. This fear must be banished. The Democrat campaign to abolish male and female and Tranify America is something worth fighting against and well worth doing so loudly and energetically. To downplay the issue is to decide that it is politically impossible to defeat this. And he links to a tweet from a guy named Craig Maurer, who covers state government and politics in Michigan for the Detroit News. 
And Maurer has this quote from the Democrat Attorney General of Michigan, Dana Nessel, who says, at Civil Rights Conference in Lansing, Michigan, while speaking out against what she describes as efforts to divide people, quote, drag queens make everything better, drag queens are fun, a drag queen for every school, unquote. So, Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News, says, to downplay, for Republicans to downplay this issue is to, is to decide that it's politically impossible to defeat the idea of putting a drag queen in every school. For two years, the Republican Party has cried out, save women's sports. South Carolina passed a transgender sports ban a month ago. Louisiana passed one in early June. Thus far, close to 20 states have passed some kind of bill intended to protect the sanctity of women's sports. It's easy to see why. Those bans are really popular. A new Washington Post poll shows banning transgenders from girls' sports roughly has roughly two-to-one support. So images of male runners demolishing the competition or a male swimming, a male swimmer hulking over his hapless, vanquished female rivals are appalling and ridiculous, and so it's easy to mobilize the public and politicians in opposition to such absurdities. But, at the same time, focusing so much on girls' sports is a distraction. The worst part of the transgender mania isn't that girls face unfair competition. The worst part of this insidious ideology is that it is an assault on the good and the true. It is a radical campaign to deny all physical, biological, and even spiritual differences between male and female, which have been acknowledged and recognized in every human culture and religious tradition for all of human history. Such a bizarre effort to overturn the natural order has led to such absurdities as the imposition of preferred pronouns and the compulsion under threat of economic ruin to affirm the delusional sexual fantasies of very troubled people. Of course, we would be remiss not to acknowledge the profound human cost of a mania, a social contagion that is inflicting profound, irreversible, lifelong harms on America's children in the pursuit of the insane lie that a man or a woman can be born in the wrong body. The chief victims of the transgenderism explosion are not girls losing out on swimming trophies. The chief victims are the mentally vulnerable people suffering from gender dysphoria who are being transitioned, mutilated every which way, physically, psychologically, and spiritually, and manipulated into extreme, harmful, and and irreversible life choices. And, of course, such a profound subversion of the moral order 
takes a psychological and spiritual toll on the rest of us who have to deal with an endless parade of demoralizing sexual propaganda in the public square. In addition to the government and corporate civil rights mandates and the psychological terror and intimidation campaign accompanying it. So by all means, state legislatures should keep passing bills to preserve the basic dignity of women's sports, but don't stop there. Instead of hiding from the transgender issue, raise the stakes. Define the issue in clear terms and relentlessly assault the subversive enemies of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Pass laws to fight and end the social contagion. Raise the salience of the issue relentlessly on TV and at political rallies. In short, make it impossible for the public to silently acquiesce from what is happening and make it impossible for elites to treat this issue as a fate accompli, in other words, an accomplished fate. As a movement, transgenderism thrives on a lack of honest information and free and open debate. To learn about transsexualism and its history is to be horrified and repulsed. John Money, the psychiatrist who coined the term gender identity, castrated a baby boy and raised him as a girl because he believed gender was just a construct. Male on female sexual assaults in women's prisons is now routine and that in the U.K., 59% of male to female transgenders have at least one sex offense on their record, comparted to just 17% of the general prison population. Such simple facts as these are ubiquitous in the public record and yet viciously suppressed by the commanding heights of academia, media, and government. And by media, I would include, parenthetically here, Fox News Channel. They don't want to talk about it, except for Tucker. Tucker will talk about it. But the article continues, just 15 years ago, transgenderism was a fringe oddity. Forty years ago, it was virtually unheard of. Yet now, recent CDC estimates claim that roughly one in every 70 American teens claims to be transgender. The percentage of transgender teens has roughly doubled since 2017. The age of so-called interventions keeps dropping, too. Many children are now socially transitioning before they start first grade, and many are receiving the once unthinkable treatment of puberty blockers and don't believe the lie that puberty blockers are fully reversible. Such pills can cause lower IQ, a critical loss of bone density, permanently immature and stunted sexual reproductive organs and genitalia, and lifelong sexual dysfunction, and that's all before one undergoes a sex reassignment surgery. In fact, the same drug given as a puberty blocker to tiny little children is also used to chemically castrate sex offenders in prison. There's no evidence 
that anyone is secretly in their brain born the opposite sex, let alone one person out of 70 in the general population. And recently, the number of transgenders has skyrocketed. But why? A 2020 report from the London Times on GIDS, the UK's top gender clinic, hints at what is really going on. 35 staffers at the clinic have resigned in the past three years, many alarmed by the rush to medicalization and the way mermaids, Instagram trans influencers, and the CBBC program I Am Leo present transition as uncomplicated. They say they are seeing girls with a panoply of other issues, anxiety, depression, self-harm, undiagnosed autism, victims of homophobic bullying and sexual abuse, for whom transition to a male body was presented online as a universal panacea. Often a normal tomboyish disgust at their new breasts, eliciting sudden and unwanted sexual attention from men, is interpreted as a certainty that they are in the, quote, wrong body, unquote. Yet instead of interrogating these underlying issues, clinicians are told to affirm the young person's trans identity and prescribe the puberty blockers that trans campaigners fiercely insist are their right. That's from the London Times, certainly not a conservative newspaper. There's evidence of transgenderism as mental health cure all everywhere. Should one look for it? Transgender activists have a special slang term, eggs. To describe future trans people, they desire to hatch. Just a few days ago, one of these perverted groomers, comics author Magdalene Visaggio, posted a guide entitled We Are Everywhere, a field guide to clocking terrified transfem eggs. Along with things like, along with quotes like liking Sailor Moon a lot, a children's book, and playing video games with an opposite-sex avatar, Magdalene Visaggio's list of transgender tells includes things like dead eyes, not taking physical care of oneself, Feelings of despair, anger, numbness, and disconnection. Having no plans for five years in the future. Lacking agency over one's life. In other words, it's a long list of symptoms of depression. But this Visaggio character then describes how to, quote-unquote, hatch eggs by presenting transgenderism as a path out of depression and suicidal ideation. The transgender fad in America is creating horrors beyond comprehension. Horrors that are ignored by the press and denied by the medical establishment. According to pro-transgender activists, sexual detransitions are extremely rare and usually only a result of transsexual encountering transphobia in real life. But in reality, there are already many formerly trans people, ex-trans. Their harrowing accounts are becoming more and more frequent and more dreadful. And they link to one from just a few days ago. And beware, it's not for the faint of heart or weak of stomach. Um, 
and it's just it's just so disgusting. I can't I can't read it. I'm sorry, I can't read it for you. But if you go to revolver.news, you can read it for yourself. In the article, the GOP's transgender strategy is dangerously off track. It's just horrifying. It's heartbreaking. It's disgusting what this guy's going through. Horrifying. Last year, British citizen Kara Bell sued the National Health Service after she was treated with a progressive course of puberty blockers, then hormone replacement, and finally a double mastectomy. Wow. She said, we are told these days that when someone presents with gender dysphoria, this reflects a person's real or true self. That the desire to change genders is set. But this was not the case for me. As I matured, I recognized that gender dysphoria was a symptom of my overall misery, not its cause. The consequences of what happened to me have been profound possible infertility, loss of my breasts, and inability to breastfeed, atrophied genitals, a permanently changed voice, facial hair. When I was seen at the Tavistock Clinic, I had so many issues that it was comforting to think I really had only one that needed solving, that I was a male in a female body. But it was the job of the professionals to consider all my comorbidities, not just to affirm my naive hope that everything could be solved with hormones and surgery. You know, this should be against the law. It really should be. It's horrifying, this child abuse. And again, the Republican governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, vetoed a bill to make this against the law in the state of Arkansas. Almost every Republican in the state legislature voted to override his veto. So why hasn't the law taken effect? Because the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce and the Walton Family Foundations, the heirs of the founder of Walmart, have sued to keep it from going into effect. And your next governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, won't say a word about it. Why? Because she is beholden to Walmart, Tyson, and the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because she says the current governor's been doing a good job. Now, I uh, I challenged her in the Republican primary for governor, and wherever we could get our message out, uh, people left her and supported me, but we just couldn't get our message out to enough people. So we're going to have to deal with this for four years, and I guarantee you if the Arkansas legislature passes another law trying to protect children from these transgender surgeries, Sarah Huckabee Sanders will veto it. Sarah, please prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong. I've never wanted to be more wrong. So the article here continues. With the explosion of transgender treatments over the past few years, there will soon be hundreds or even thousands of people Just like the two we just shared with you, right now they're already emerging in obscure corners of the Internet like 
the web forum Kiwi Farms or the, or the obscure place on Reddit called r slash dtrans. A survey on that subreddit which took pains to screen out inauthentic answers found nearly 100 cases of people detransitioning after receiving puberty blockers, hormone replacement, and even physical surgeries. Their personal accounts range from bland to absolutely dreadful. And again, I just, I can't read them to you, but they're in this article. Yet at the moment, harrowing tales of detransition like those above hardly account for a blip on the radar of American politics. You know what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I am going to read some of this to you. So, you know, if you don't have a strong stomach, here's your warning. But you need to know, especially my listeners in Arkansas, what the governor of Arkansas, in his veto of the SAFE Act, what he endorsed, and especially my listeners in Texas. Well, the governor of Texas won't do anything about. Okay? All right? And it's going to be some strong language, but you need to know the truth. And that's coming up next. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year, and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. 
If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thanks again to our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do. Okay, before I read to you what this uh, this person who got the uh, transgender surgery to try to become a female has now detransitioned back to being an adult male. Before I read to you about his harrowing experience, I got to share with you a little clip from a guy named uh, Jeff Younger. Jeff Younger is a guy who has been fighting to save his son from transgenderism from his ex-wife. Um, and in this clip, Jeff Younger was endorsing a guy who was running the Republican nomination for governor against um, incumbent Jeff Abbott. Okay? So uh, here's the clip. I live in Texas, and my ex-wife has been trying to sexually transition my son since the age of three. She wants him to be a girl. I'm fighting for my son's life because our politicians refuse to ban the barbaric practice of transition therapy, puberty blockers, and even genital mutilation surgery on kids. Two years ago, after receiving a massive amount of pressure about his silence on this abuse, Greg Abbott tweeted this. Since that tweet... Now, in that tweet, Greg Abbott just says, well, we're going to look into it. Since that tweet, Abbott hasn't said or done a thing about my son's case or others like it. Last week, Republicans even killed legislation that would ban sex change surgeries on children right here in Texas. This session, Abbott prioritized rural Internet expansion while refusing to protect Texas kids. Abbott's silence and inaction is endangering Texas children. But from the beginning, Don Huffines has stood with me to protect Texas children. Don is the proven leader we need to lead this state. As governor, I will end the barbaric practice of these abusive therapies on two-year-olds and the mutilation of Texas children will come to an end. We're out of time. No more excuses. Unfortunately, Greg Abbott was renominated for governor with 66.5% of the vote. Don Huffines wound up in third place with only 12%. But, you know, 
when you look at Texas and you look at Arkansas, at least Republicans in the Arkansas State Legislature at least passed the law to try to protect children from this barbaric practice. The Texas State Legislature, they couldn't get it done. So, um, let me uh, let me read to you what this detransitioned adult male went through, and I've warned you this is horrifying. It's it's not. If you don't have a strong stomach, you don't want to listen to this. He says, "I want to tell everyone what they took from us, what irreversible really means." And what that reality looks like for us. He says, no one told me any of what I'm going to tell you now. He says, I have no sensation in my crotch region at all. You could stab me with a knife and I wouldn't know. The entire area is numb, like it's a shell-shocked and unable to comprehend what happened even four years on. He says, I tore a sutra four days post-recovery. They promised to address it. I begged them in emails to fix it. They scorned me instead. Years later, I have what looks like a chunk of missing flesh next to my neo-vagina. It literally looks like someone hacked at me. No one told me that the base area of your penis is left. It can't be removed, meaning you're left with a literal stump inside that twitches. When you take testosterone and your libido returns, you wake up with morning wood without the tree. I wish this was a joke. And if you do take testosterone after being post-op, you run the risk of internal hair in the neo-vagina. Imagine dealing with internal hair growth after everything. What a choice. Be healthy on testosterone and a freak or remained a sexless eunuch. And that's something that will never come back. And one of the reasons why I got surgery. My sex drive died about six months on human, on HRT. What does that stand for? Human regenerative uh, therapy? Hang on, let me, let me see if I can figure it out here real quick. Sorry. Hormone replacement therapy. He says, my sex drive died about six months on hormone replacement therapy. At the time, I was glad to be rid of it, but now, ten years later, I'm realizing what I'm missing out on and what I won't get back. Then there's the act of going to the toilet. He says, it takes me about ten minutes to empty my bladder It's extremely slow, painful, and because it dribbles, no matter how much I relax, it will then just go all over that entire area, leaving me soaking. So after cleaning myself up, I will find moments later that my underwear is wet, no matter how much I wiped. It slowly drips out for the best part of an hour. I never knew at 35 years old I ran the risk like smelling like urine everywhere I went. Now I get to the point where I'm detransitioned and the realization that this is permanent is catching up with me. During transition, I was obsessive and deeply unwell. I cannot believe they were allowed to do this to me even after all the red 
flags. I wasn't even asked if I wanted to free sperm or want children. In my obsessive, deeply unwell state, they just nodded along and didn't tell me the realities, what life would be like. And finally, there's dilation, which is like some sort of demonic ceremony where you impale yourself for 20 agonizing minutes to remind you of your own stupidity. Please pray for that person. Again, this is what the Republican legislature in Arkansas at least passed a bill to protect children from, and it's what the Republican governor of Arkansas vetoed, and then almost every Republican in the state legislature voted to override his veto. No Democrats, because they don't care. And now the Walton Family Foundation, the heirs of Sam Walton, creator of Walmart, the Walton Family Foundation, the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce, sued to keep this law from going into effect, sued to keep children from being protected from this. I hated having to share that with you, but you need to know what our society is up against here. You need to know that at least the Republicans in the state legislature of Arkansas voted to outlaw this before Republican Governor Asa Hodgson voted to veto it. And I have said all over the state of Arkansas, when I was running for governor, even before I ran for governor, that the Republican Party of Arkansas should have kicked Asa Hutchinson out of the party, but they wouldn't do it. But at least Republicans in the state legislature passed the law. Republicans in the state legislature in Texas couldn't even get that done. So, let me wrap up the article here from Darren J. Beatty, Revolver.News. At the moment, harrowing tales of detransition like those above hardly account for a blip on the radar of American politics. The average American, even the average politically engaged American, never looks at Twitter at all. Even Americans firmly against the modern transgender mania have little to no idea what this whole sordid transgender affair really entails in technical terms. Well, this is a political failure. Stories like those of Tulip R's and Kara Bell's should be highlighted prominently and ad nauseum. Detransitioners should be cultivated as public speakers, much like how the pro-life movement prominently features women who regret abortions and the doctors who regret performing them. TV personalities should finally shine a spotlight on the horrifying and true details of transgender surgeries. For instance, that they leave recipients with disease-ridden, pus-filled, gaping wounds routinely requiring multiple surgeries to fix. And then to quote Howard Beale from the old network movie, you've got to get mad. It's high time that the doctors who inflict these so-called treatments on minors not be regarded as doctors at all. They should be instead considered well, they actually are child mutilators. The goal of every sane, concerned American 
should not be to merely save girls' sports and stop taxpayer-funded drag queen story time. The goal should instead be to put a complete stop to this tragic moral abomination by putting perverts, predators, and child mutilators in prison. Sid Gallagher is a plastic surgeon who posts videos on TikTok under the handle Gender Surgeon. Gallagher disgustingly calls herself Dr. Titus Deletus and jokes about it being her job to yeet the teats. This vulgar, unprofessional freak is an appalling and horrifying figure, poisoning the minds of the youth. Already her former patients are coming forward to say that they regret the surgeries Gallagher rushed them into. And if you're wondering, yes, Gallagher does offer sex transition surgeries for minors. See, Gallagher, by all rights, should be a national pariah. She's also a ripe political target. Her practice is in Miami a city in a red state with decades of consistent Republican control, allowing her to practice day after day with no legal or political action taken against her practice is morally abhorrent and a political mistake. You might ask what action could even be taken. Well, that's the fun part. Concerned Florida Republicans and independents can get creative. First, Fight tooth and nail against covering transgender care with Medicaid. Medical licensing is handled at the state level, so start going after their licensing of doctors who promote transitioning children. Second, create a registry for patients to lodge complaints against transition doctors, like we do for sex offenders or like New York City does for landlords. Or make quack transition doctors into actual sex offenders and create entirely new crimes like child mutilation to describe their actions. Next, sharply increase a doctor's liability exposure for any patient who later regrets the procedure he or she received. If post-transition regret and detransitioning is so rare, there should be no problem with putting doctors on the hook for six- or seven-figure payments if their patients decide what happened to them as children was a mistake, then go after their malpractice insurance. Already, many states ban insurance coverage for certain kinds of conduct, like fraud. Malpractice insurers should be allowed to protect good-faith providers of mainstream medical care. But there should be no coverage for pediatric trans therapies. Or go the other way. Require the doctors to carry huge amounts of malpractice insurance to shave away at their profit margins. A few states have already made a few limited modes, a few limited moves. In 2020, Arkansas directly banned doctors from providing gender transition treatment to minors, although it only left them vulnerable to lawsuits. Well, no, wait a minute. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure the SAFE Act didn't just leave them vulnerable to lawsuits. I believe it was a a criminal deal. If I find out I'm wrong, I'll let you know. 
Alabama's law passed earlier this year was much better, providing for a prison sentence for up to 10 years. Every Republican-controlled state should be racing to follow their lead. Inexcusably, similar proposed bills have faltered in many other states. This is not the path of moderation. It's the path of cowardice and eventual defeat. Will courts step in the way of any efforts to quash the deranged transgender mania? Indubitably. Liberal activists have already challenged laws in both Arkansas and Alabama and had them paused, but that doesn't matter. Passing laws in dozens of states and getting creative with how they work raises the odds that at least a few will survive. Defenders of the sex binary should draw inspiration from another political cause, the anti-abortion movement. Pro-life campaigners have a single-minded focus on making abortion clinics less plentiful and abortions more difficult to get. Every year, dozens of new anti-abortion restrictions are enacted around the country. Many of them are struck down, but for clever activists, that just means developing new strategies, reshaping the courts, and trying again. The objective is always to seize as much territory as courts will allow. If Roe v. Wade could not be toppled in a single pass, then it could instead die a death of a million cuts. Um, the Allen Guttmacher Institute, which is part of Planned Parenthood, said, In 2021, more U.S. state abortion restrictions were enacted than in any year since Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. So Darren J. Beatty at Revolver.News wraps up his article thusly. He says, This is a battle that can be won and should be won, but it cannot be won with cowardice by submitting to the left's moral imperialism and begging for the right to maybe please just slow things down a little. It can only be won by proudly rejecting the entirety of gender ideology and identifying it for exactly what it is, a warped effort to get more and more people to mutilate their bodies to affirm the decisions of sick people who have already done so. Find ex-trans voices and give them a platform. Put the mutilators in jail. Ban Drag Queen Story Hour. And never, ever concede an inch. In the long run, the truth will out. Wow. Wow. So I got a message here. I got a message here from one of my listeners. On the Podbean app, somebody listening to the live stream who said, don't forget Arkansas primary runoff elections are happening today. Endorsements. And I'm pretty sure these are endorsements from Reopen Arkansas, who I'm a huge fan of. They endorse me, so they endorse the right folks. Endorsements in the Arkansas primary runoff elections going on today. District... Candidate State Senate 22 endorsing John Payton, P-A-Y-T-O-N. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. 
State Representative John Payton, hardcore conservative, is challenging State Senator James Sturch, who is the guy who kept critical race theory legal in the state of Arkansas by refusing to let the bill which passed the House overwhelmingly out of the state Senate Education Committee. So you want to vote for John Payton, P-A-Y-T-O-N, if you're in that district. State Senate 28, Bob Ballinger. State Senate 35, Gayla McKenzie. Now, Gayla McKenzie is up against a guy who is is backed big time by Walmart, Tyson, and the State Chamber of Commerce. So you definitely want to vote for Gayla McKenzie if you're in her district up in um, Northwest Arkansas. State Senate 35 and State Senate 28, Bob Ballinger, Northwest Arkansas. State Representative 39, Wayne Long. Let me tell you why this is so important. Wayne Long is challenging one of only three Republicans in the State House, Craig Christensen, who voted to sustain Aza Hodgins' veto of a bill to protect children from being castrated, either chemically or surgically. Christensen must be defeated. Please vote for Wayne Long if you're in his State House district. Pulaski County Justice of the Peace, Reopen Arkansas, endorses Rebecca Davis, and so do I. Garland County Justice of the Peace, Reopen Arkansas, endorses Dayton Myers, and so do I. Baxter County Judge, Brian Plumley. They endorse him, I do too. Brian Plumley has been the recipient of death threats because he is going up against the rhinos in Baxter County. He's a true conservative. I met him the other day. I hope you'll vote for him if you're listening in Baxter County. Green County Sheriff Steve Franks. These candidates are vetted and they are endorsed by Reopen Arkansas. So, I certainly hope that you will take that to heart. I certainly hope that you will take that to heart. Now, and thank you to my friends at Reopen for getting the word out there. Appreciate that. All right, all right, all right. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. That believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online. Have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States. Today's tweet of the day is a long one. It's a thread from Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and a response from the great Julie Kelly at American Greatness. U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia says, Good morning from our nation's capital here, where the U.S. Attorney of Washington, D.C. refuses to prosecute Democrat U.S. Representative Jake Auchincloss, Chief of Staff Tim Heisom, 
even though Capitol Police referred him for criminal charges. It's a lovely day on Capitol Hill today where Adam Schiff engaged in insurrection by bringing in Stephen Colbert, Democrat activist film crew. She says, they have been stalking me at the January 6th press conference and at my office with months and months of stalking by Representative Jake Auchincloss's chief of staff, Tim Heisom. I'm used to it by now. She says, Representative Auchincloss, did you know that your chief of staff, Tim Heisom, repeatedly targeted me? I have some of the highest number of death threats in Congress with approximately 60 official threats just this year and one man on trial for trying to kill me. Do you or Tim Heisom know any of them? Is Heisom one of them? Tim Heisom wanted to prosecute a man who attacked a pride flag when he was chief of staff for another Democrat member of Congress, but Heisom thinks it's totally fine and is unapologetic about attacking my statement on gender that also reflects the views of my district by attacking my faith. Wow. She says, Representative Auchincloss, Chief of Staff Tim Heisom, believes that he is above the law and his boss apparently agrees. They do not respect biological women or our safety. They believe transgender biological men have more rights than we do, and they have attacked me aggressively for standing my ground. I will not back down on my belief that there are only two genders, male and female. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Genesis one twenty seven. Attacking me for this is a hate crime against me and my district. And then she says, Democrats in the House of Representatives, under the leadership of Speaker Pelosi, have no respect for truth or any respect at all for us. They're Republican colleagues. She says, I've been consistently attacked and mistreated as a freshman member of Congress, but so are others. Stephen Colbert's gang of seven targeted other Republican members of Congress, like Representative Barry Loudermilk from Georgia. Insurrectionist Adam Schiff on the fake January 6th committee is lying about Representative Loudermilk giving tours in the Capitol. The Capitol Police have exonerated Representative Loudermilk, but Schiff keeps lying about him. Congressman Jake Auchincloss hasn't fired his chief of staff, Tim Heisom, yet. Congressman Auchincloss and Heisom also engaged in insurrection on June 16th when staff from their office let Stephen Colbert's gang of seven back in our buildings at night after Capitol Police had thrown them out so they can continue harassing me and Republicans. She says, there is a repulsive two-tier justice system in America today Brought to you by Joe Biden's Justice Department. They refuse to go after protesters breaking federal law, harassing Supreme Court justice. But they'll lock you up and throw away the key if you walked around inside the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Biden's DOJ refuses to prosecute all the Black Lives Matter domestic terrorists that burned and rioted 
American cities during 2020, killing dozens of people and causing over $20 billion worth in damages. But they'll get you moms and dads for holding your school boards accountable and protecting your kids. Soon, Joe Biden's DOJ will prosecute people for hate crimes if they dare try to stop transgender strippers dressed in drag from grooming children at schools and in public, but they refuse to prosecute Jake Auchincloss's chief of staff, Tim Heisem, for hate crimes against my faith and gender and my district's beliefs. She says the role of the DOJ is to enforce federal laws. Biden's DOJ only selective, selectively enforces federal laws they choose to prosecute. The illegals breaking our laws at the border don't matter to them. Record high fentanyl deaths, nah. High crime, who cares? Lawlessness is the goal. Sorry, American people, yes, you pay your taxes. That pays all the government salaries, including U.S. Attorney of Washington, D.C., Matthew Graves, but you don't matter to them. You see, under the Democrats' regime, it's a two-tier justice system. They only prosecute their political enemies or threats, and that is you. Julie Kelly responds thusly. She says, when the Republicans take the House of Representatives, they should immediately cut all funding to the Washington, D.C. U.S. Attorney. Absolutely no reason for a city almost fully populated with Democrat Party functionaries to have its own criminal prosecutor who solely targets Republicans and protects Democrats. Shut it down. And this goes for D.C. FBI field office and D.C. federal courts. If January 6th has shown us anything, as a Washington, D.C. is its own little banana republic with the power and drive to punish political dissidents, defund all of it. And that is the great Julie Kelly. The great Julie Kelly. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. We're so thankful to Red River yourway.com for making it possible for us to do our tweet of the day each day. We thank y'all. We thank y'all so much. So, oh my goodness. Bombshell report from the EpochTimes.com. Bombshell report from the EpochTimes.com. This is amazing. Exclusive police report proves plainclothes electronic surveillance unit members were embedded among January 6th protesters. So who knows? Who knows what they did? 
they had a uh, a special rainbow colored bracelet each of them wore to identify themselves as members of the Metropolitan Police Department's electronic surveillance unit. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, so Stephen Colbert went on a show last night and shed crocodile tears for those who died on January 6th. Julie Kelly says, hey, Stephen, name those killed and explain what happened to them. I'll wait. And this account does not match reports of what actually happened. Wait, so a liberal Democrat political operative like Stephen Colbert goes on TV and lies? What a shock. What a shock. Jim Jordan and Rodney Davis, House Judiciary Republicans demand information on the Adam Schiff, Stephen Colbert recon tours. Julie Kelly says Stephen Colbert gives a different story, insists his crew's conduct was peaceful and lawful. Let's see the tapes before DOJ conceals them from the public like the 14,000 hours from January 6th. Wow. I got to tell you, they should be held accountable for that uh, June 16th insurrection. Don't you think? I certainly do. I certainly do. But they probably won't be, which is why, like Julie Kelly says, if and when Republicans take back control of Congress, they need to defund the U.S. Attorney Washington, D.C., Hope they do. Hope they do. Okay, you've been listening to episode 178 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been, has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the 10th. Wow, that's the way it is. Tuesday, June 21st, 2022.